Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I am here with Alicia, Laura, Mia, and Stephen. And we're going to be talking about the 1966 film Persona, directed by Ingmar Bergman. But before we go on, it has been a really long time since we actually recorded our last episode. So our usual, what have you watched since we last recorded question would be a bit too much. Instead, what's one movie you've watched recently that you want to talk about here? Steven? Well, since we're coming off of the July 4th holiday when uh, when we're recording this, um, I watched Yankee Doodle Dandy, which was a 1942 <laughs> <laughs> musical uh, with George Cohen. It was about his life story. Um, it was starring James Cagney. Um, it reminded me a lot of Singing in the Rain. And they have all those like hits that probably, you know, you might have sang when you were in grade school in music class, like over there, or your grand old flag. So it was sort of like a sing-along movie for me. Um, there were some cringy moments, though, with like, you know, there wasn't very many African-Americans in there. And then there was a scene with the the Coens and they're all in blackface and they're dancing. It was a little weird. Um, but overall, it was an entertaining movie for me and, you know, kind of hit kind of hit right during the Fourth of July holiday. Mm -hmm. I think he, I think Cagney won an Oscar for that. I could be wrong. I think he did. Yeah, I think he did. Uh, Mia, what about you? Um, so the other day I rewatched Parasite. And this is my third time seeing it. And I'm not a huge movie rewatcher, but this movie is so good. And I feel like every time I see it, I notice new details or pick up on new themes, get more out of it. So it was great. And I feel like I didn't watch it because of Fourth of July, but it's sort of maybe the <laughs> antithesis of Yankee Doodle with a very non-patriotic movie. There you go. <laughs> um, so... I'm going to call an audible. I don't know if you guys were looking at the notes. I thought I was going to talk about the card reader or return to Oz, which are totally worthy of conversation. But I recently just finished rewatching a simple plan. The 1998 Sam Raimi movie with Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton should have definitely won an Oscar for that movie, uh, for that performance. It's just a really good, like Hitchcockian, Hitchcockian pot boiler. Um, that I think is a little, underappreciated ha always has been maybe it's got a little bit more of a cult following over the years but it's just a really solid movie um it's and i know it was kind of sam raimi trying to do something a little more straight than his usual thing and i think it's completely successful while still like playing to his strengths um if you've never seen it i definitely recommend it it's on hbo max i believe so there you go alicia um, I watched Judy, the um, the movie with Renee Zellweger playing Judy Garland. Watched it back at like Christmas time, um, and wasn't really expecting to like it very much. <laughs> it was like my sister's choice to watch, but um, but it was really good. Uh, and I know Renee Zellweger won the Oscar, and yeah, I mean she definitely deserved it. She did a really great job as Judy Garland, and um, it's about like a sort of the last part of her life so it's it's, a, it's more depressing dark film so you know that's what i love <laughs> so. i always wonder about movies like that do you feel like she did an interpretation of judy or do you feel like she brought her own spin onto it because sometimes I, think, I watch those and it's like ray i felt like sometimes he was doing an impression of ray charles when jamie fox was doing it mm -hmm. i would say it's a little bit of both okay and laura what about you I watched, obviously, a lot of movies and Bottle Rocket on repeat for the last few days after we lost James Caan. But um, mm. the movie that I've been struggling with is Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, because it's gotten such great reviews. It's got like 94% aggregate on Rotten Tomatoes. And I hated it so much, like with a vengeance. <laughs> and it was, to me, it was pandering and wrongheaded. And... Um, I mean, it's Emma Thompson, you know, hires a young male prostitute for some real loving, I guess, because she never got it. And um, yeah, I just thought it was so anti-feminist. And I've been thinking a lot about that. And it's a female director, Sophie Hyde. And uh, I, I guess I just wonder, is the act of itself making the film a feminist act anyway? And I've just been really, you know, going back and forth on all that, but did not like the film. Is that a new one? I don't think I've actually heard of that. I'm kind of out of the yeah, loop on. Um, yeah, it's new. Uh, Emma yeah. Thompson, some hot young guy who's very good. Yeah. Um, I've, I don't know his name. Apologies. Is it I, streaming? I was, 
Yeah, it's um exclusively on Hulu, apparently. Hmm. That's that's how they put it. There you go. Well so, yeah, I'm... just really hated it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> you had a bad experience with that one. Um, yeah, I mean it was just so off putting that I felt like I needed to talk about it. Fair Obviously, enough. I've it's, watched a lot of good stuff too. I think these can be recommendations, get, or they can be like uh, warnings. You know, so yeah, Steven. it's hard when a movie gets like ninety four percent, you know, approval, and then you watch it, you're like, "What am I missing that everybody else seems to love this?" Yep. So, yeah, it was so many weird plot. It's just, and it's one of those things. Like, if a man behaved or said any of the things that this woman is saying, it would be a complete everyone would be appalled. It would mm-hmm. be, unless it was French or something, like it would be super offensive, but I don't know. I just don't know. I've been thinking a lot about it. So mm. that's my brain loop for you. There you go. So for those who may not have listened to this show before, this is a podcast where the five of us are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight and Sound Magazine's poll of the so-called greatest movies ever made that comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out sometime this year in 2022, So we're basically trying to watch some of the movies from past polls before the new one is out. And again, this time we're talking about Persona. But before we get into the history and background of the movie, what did each of us know about it going into this viewing? Who had seen it before? If not, what were you expecting, if anything? And Mia, since you picked this one, can you start us off and also remind us why you chose it? Sure. So... I had not seen this movie before. I did not know anything about it, but I was Googling some of the movies that are on our list that I'd never heard of before just to try and pick something for our next round. And at the time that we were doing this, I was pregnant and the themes that came up or you know, some information around this movie was about motherhood and identity. So obviously, I was just really curious about this since I knew that that would be something I would be grappling with soon. Um, so yeah, that was why I picked it. Laura, what about you? I remember seeing this movie, um, in my early twenties when I worked at Scarecrow Video in Seattle. Shout out. Whoop, whoop. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Stephen. Um, and I thought it was a masterpiece when I saw it. It knocked me out. Great. Stephen, how about you? I had actually never heard of this movie um, and I've never seen an Igmar Bergman movie before, so it was a first for me on all counts. Um, I was really curious, though, about it, um, just because everybody always talks about him as being such a great director. Okay. And Alicia? Yeah, I had also never really heard of this one before. I have seen other Bergman films, um, The Seventh Seal and Wild Strawberries and at least one other one. But um, but yeah, this one I just I just don't even think I even recognized the title of it, so I had like no familiarity with it at all. Okay, I I had heard of it, but I had also never seen it before. So I guess Laura's the only one who'd seen it. I had seen those same two movies, Alicia, The Seventh Seal, and Wild Strawberries, like when I was in high school or early college. So it's been a while. I think I might have also watched Cries and Whispers at some point, but I really can't remember exactly. Um, but yeah, Bergman is one of those directors I've always felt like I needed to go deeper on. So I was glad to have the opportunity and the prompt to watch it for this. Um, so that's where we stood on the film before watching it for this episode. And we will get more into the film in just a moment. But first, let's take a break. And we're back. Persona is a film that is open to much interpretation about its themes, meaning, and maybe even its plot. In the most basic way, it's the story of a well-known Swedish actress who suffers an emotional shutdown and is put in a hospital. It's explained that there is nothing wrong with her either mentally or physically, but she is completely unwilling to move or speak. A nurse is assigned to her, but a lack of any progress soon leads the attending doctor to send the actress with her nurse to a seaside cottage. With the actress still not speaking, but beginning to otherwise take part in life, the nurse finds a willing set of ears to spill her thoughts and secrets to. This eventually leads to a seeming betrayal of confidence. Meanwhile, both for the nurse and for the audience, the identities of the women become increasingly blurred. Persona was Ingmar Bergman's 27th film as a director, and was released 20 years after his first. 
It also came about a decade after the seventh seal firmly established him as a well-known name of world cinema. The experimental opening moments of the film effectively set up an experience that is harder to pin down than other more mainstream films. Discussion and debate about how to interpret persona tend to follow several different lines, from identity, gender, and sexuality, to Jungian psychology, art, and even vampirism. The film was released in Sweden in 1966 and the following year in the United States. It received generally favorable reviews from critics and even spawned a nickname for its most diehard enthusiasts, Persona Cult. The film was submitted by Sweden as its entry for a possible Academy Award nomination for Best Foreign Language Film, but it ultimately was not nominated. The eventual winner of that award was Jean-Luc Godard's A Man and a Woman. And, to give a sense of what was popular in the United States as Persona was released, A Man for All Seasons was the big winner at the Academy Awards for 1966. The film was also the fifth highest grossing in North America that year, behind from one to four, Hawaii, The Bible, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and The Sand Pebbles. Echoes of Persona have been noted in several well-known films since, with some of the more recent ones being Mulholland Drive and Black Swan. For our purposes, Persona only appeared in the top 10 of Sight & Sound's critics poll once in 1972, when it was ranked 5th. In 2012, it was tied with The Seventh Samurai at number 17 on the wider critics poll, and it was ranked number 13 on the director's poll. So, Mia, since this was your pick, can you start us off with your thoughts on the film and whether it met your expectations? So I didn't really have any expectations going into it since I really didn't know that much about it. And I will say, I guess I thought from what I had read before that not that themes of motherhood weren't very, very prominent in the movie but there's also just so many other themes too. So I think I kind of thought it was going to be more just focused on that, but I was wrong. I guess the plot I envisioned was like a woman becomes a mother and like loses her identity kind of, which not saying that that's not the plot, but there's so much more to it. But I thought it was really, really good. Like I thought the, the, I was really impressed by the lighting in general. I thought there's one scene towards the beginning where, um, she's Elizabeth is laying in her hospital bed and like it's becoming night and just the way the light goes over her face I was so struck by that and I thought the story was fascinating all the different theories and twists and turns that are around this movie yeah I just I watched it probably for I think I watched it twice to prepare for this and the first time I watched it was a few weeks ago now and i probably hasn't a day gone by where I haven't thought about it some. All right. And Stephen, how about you? I have walked into this movie not knowing anything about it. I usually, my MO is not to read anything about a movie before I saw it. Um, It was really enjoyable for me, but um, this was one of those movies that I felt like the second time I watched it, it was more of an awareness that I was watching a movie instead of just watching kind of a story that was kind of taken and, and you're just sort of like a fly on the wall almost. Um, because I felt like a lot of the scenes were very deliberate. Um, I did really enjoy it the second time around, but it's also one of those movies that I felt like the more I was watching it, the more confused I got, because I felt like the plot was pretty straightforward when I first watched it. But the second time, there are so many themes in this movie, and you can kind of go down different tracks with it to sort of figure it out in your head. So for me, as one of those people that tries to figure things out in their head when it comes to a movie, it it was kind of a jumble. But I did really love the performances, and I... You know the imagery. Um, so overall, it was it was an enjoyable movie. I'd probably watch it again, but I figured that I'd get even more confused, so I stopped at two viewings. <laughs> and Laura, yeah, I watched it again, and um, I mean, it's a beautiful film. The starkness of the set, the light, um, the negative space, and all the shots. The performances are amazing. Um, it's a very complicated film, um, but and I like to Stephen's point. It gets more and more complicated towards the end. And when I I remember first loving it and exploring all the different sides and the Jungian ideas of it. This time I just thought, wow, this is a mind fuck for mind fuck's sake, and <laughs> I'm kind of over it. And it just sort of entered into male fantasy territory for me, and I got bored um 
right around the part where like they were sucking the blood. And uh, yeah. And so I just re, you know, went back to think about why I was so struck when I first saw it. And I realized I just loved her haircut so much that uh, <laughs> it really, um, yeah. I'm Whose kidding. haircut? Um, B.B. Anderson's haircut. So yeah, again, I'm not, I'm, I sound pretty negative today, hey, <laughs> but uh, it, it was just, um, it was a different experience for me than it was the first time. Yeah, it sounds like quite the drop off from yeah, right? when you saw it previously. Uh, Alicia, what about you? Yeah, I, I really also like Mia didn't really have any expectations going in. I think I had maybe like read a Google blurb or something about it. But um, yeah, I really found it like I think just to quote me again, I think she said fascinating. And I also found it fascinating. I think that's the right word. And um, there's just so much in there. It's sort of I felt like every scene had so much packed into it and it's like really going to be difficult to put words to a lot of the concepts that I think he's trying to put across in there. Um, And there's also just like so many different layers. As Laura was saying, there's like so many different layers that you can, um, you can view it from. Uh, So yeah, I, I found it like, a little bit confounding, but <laughs> but I did enjoy the experience. But I also watched it a second time just because I was like, I was like, there's so much that I don't think I'm going to remember, you know, everything. And I mean, even on a second watch, I was like, yeah, I'm still not going to be able to remember everything. <laughs> so um, I'll just go with what I can can remember about it. <laughs> so right, yeah, I don't know what my expectations were other than I had seen. Ingmar Bergman and knew his reputation enough to know it was going to be something quote unquote sophisticated and European. And (laughs) um, I think the only thing I really knew of the movie itself was the image of the boy in front of, I guess it's a screen of his mother's face. I I, I assume Um, that's a still that I've seen a lot. And it really, I mean, I guess it gets at some of the themes of the movie, but it, it's such a small part of the movie that it's kind of weird that that's the representation of the movie in a lot of places, I think. But um, yeah, I don't know. Other than that, like I think that this is a movie that I, I think sometimes movies fit somewhere on a spectrum or maybe it's more of a matrix of are they a puzzle movie, like a Christopher Nolan movie where there's an obvious answer to things that he wants you to find, like he has an answer in mind and these kind of, uh, I think to use Steven's word, confounding. Um, I, I don't know what it is. It's not a puzzle. It's like a, it's a, a different thing. A ru- sure, maybe rubric is the word. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. But it's it's like he doesn't have an answer for you to land on. There are many possibilities. So it's not a puzzle box or something with a solution. You know, so I, I tend to like those movies better when they're done well. And I think this is done well. I think it's a movie that, yeah, the more you see it, the more you can get from it. But you have to do some work. You have to, you know, it's not a movie that like just, like I said, tells you what it's about. It tells you a lot of things and then you have to figure out what you think it's about or what it's about for you. Steven? It's kind of like a Rorschach test, I guess, or a kaleidoscope. Oh, yeah, that's good. that's yeah. how I would think of it as just because when Mia said about the the themes being motherhood when you say that and if i rewatch the movie i could totally see that mm-hmm. so i i feel like yeah depending on your mood or you know when you watch it you'll just get something completely different out of it yeah i i think Rorschach test is a great a great way to frame it alicia i also thought it was interesting steven that you said the second time you watched it you felt more like aware of the fact that you were watching a movie mm-hmm. because within the movie what sort of kicks everything off is the actress like be, sort of becoming aware that she's like acting and sort of just that shuts her down completely. So it's like, there's a whole other level happening for you. So as we're recording this, I just recently this past week edited our episode on Hiroshima Monomore, where that was kind of a part of the discussion for at least a little bit of how the French new wave filmmakers were Mm -hmm trying to kind of show the seams of what a movie was. They wanted you to be aware of watching a movie. And so this comes a little bit after that 
I'm sure Ingmar Bergman was as much, if not more so, an influence on French New Wave filmmakers as maybe they re-influenced him once they were on the scene. But I think that this is definitely something that fits in with the sensibilities. I'm sure Cahiers de Cinema was like all over this movie and whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything we want to explore about that, about the movie being sort of I thought that was a really s- smart thing you said about how how he influenced them and then they ter- in turn re-influenced him because this movie is quite different than visually than what I've the other ones I've seen, the right. earlier ones. Yeah, I mean, do you want to speak to that a little more? Because like I said, I've seen two of his, I think, earlier movies from the 50s, but I, I don't remember them well enough to really, like, I don't remember there being as, as much abstraction. It's more like there's a surreal situation, but within that situation, things are a little more... I would be remiss to um, pontificate too much about that because I'm okay. not um, as informed in, in his work as I feel like I should be. Um, but I do have an anecdote that I'd like to add once this point is done so you guys should should really explore that i mean i don't know if there's more to add to it i don't know yeah (laughs) so so why don't you go ahead i mean i don't know if you if anyone else has heard the story where bb anderson was walking with liv ullman down the street and they ran into igmar bergman and he was sort of so taken with their relationship and their friendship that he who he had had a relationship with bb anderson he then wrote this film also had a relationship with Liv Ullman. And um, to me, that just makes so much more sense as to what this film is about, man's kind of idea of woman and and um, possession of them more mm-hmm. than I think uh, that I realized the first time. I think that's a good point that, yeah, it's, it's a movie. And he's known for making quite a few movies, especially with Liv Ullman, that explore womanhood and femininity from my understanding i have like not seen enough of his work to speak about that myself but i know mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure that's a theme of his right so yeah I, I do but i do think it's worth noting and pointing out that he's a man trying to come to some observation about this but he's still a man so it's not his experience that he's trying to portray alicia you had something well, I was just kind of going to say kind of what you started to say that I think it's I I thought it was more about n- not about but I th- I took it more as like man can never understand women and it was sort of like him sort of confronting the fact that he w- just won't ever understand that experience. Not so much that he was trying to portray womanhood in some way, but just that he was just like I mean, he is obviously trying to portray womanhood in some way, but more in a way of like, I don't understand women. <laughs> I don't right. understand women. <laughs> I don't know. That was sort of how I was seeing it. But but I also read that B.B. Anderson rewrote some of the dialogue to make it more accurate f- from a woman's perspective. Mm. So, yeah, I think he was probably just just confronting the, that whole thing of like, we can never understand one another and men will never really understand what it is to be a woman and vice versa. That's a good point. Well, as much as I think it's about being a woman or being a mother, it also seems to be about being an artist and a performer and maybe how that interacts with those other roles, especially for the Liv Ullman character, Elizabeth. I always find it interesting when movies are meta in that way. I I think a lot of people like kind of encounter some meta movie and they're like, yeah, fuck this. And then they want to go a different way. But I, when it's done well, I enjoy it, and I, I do think there's some interesting stuff in here about what it is to be a, a performer, an actor specifically, and how you're taking on these roles, and do you lose yourself in it? Do you have a personality or an identity of your own, um, and where does one end and where does the other begin, and all that? Uh, Laura? Well, I think to that point, the the bigger idea or concept from there is truth and speaking with truth versus not the mm-hmm. living in, in truth versus not. And um, I think when she realized how blurred those lines were and what lies, you know, she just stopped because if nothing was going to be true, then nothing would be said again. Right. Um, so I think that kind of goes hand in hand with what you were saying. Steven. I know the first time I had watched this movie, I kind of had the feeling that, Elizabeth was kind of being quiet on purpose because she was trying to do research for a role. 
And that's how I kind of justified her being silent because she wanted to see what Alma had to say and trying to base it off of her. But the more the movie kind of was occurring, it it felt like they were kind of an amalgamation of each other. And then after a while, I was like, maybe they are the same person. So, you know, who is really speaking the truth there or the truth teller, the one who's not saying anything, you know? So, and, and at, at some point, Alma was going to, you know, she got angry about, um, you know, the non-speaking part. And then I don't know where I'm going with that. So that was what I was thinking about just, just in terms of like, you know, does one person speak the truth by not saying anything? Um, yeah, I also kind of went through that that um, same phase of questioning. I was like, maybe actually Alma's the patient and Elizabeth is actually the nurse. Maybe there's only one of them. Yeah. Maybe there's not actually two women there. I went through like a bunch of different thoughts on it. But the other thing that I thought was interesting from about the like art, the role of the artist in this is that she is just like, she's doing some, she's doing a performance. I mean, obviously it's totally silent performance, but she's still doing a performance within the movie. And I thought it was really interesting how um, Alma just basically coming up against this sort of blank, I would almost say like a blank performance, a blank canvas type of performance. She just throws all her own stuff at it and interprets it like however it's whether that's that was the intention of you know Elizabeth or not Alma takes her own uh, interpretation and runs with it and you know gets angry at her and has all these different things that it brings up in her and I mean Elizabeth's doing almost nothing so I thought that's a that was a very interesting thing to think about the relationship between the artist and the audience. It kind of doesn't matter what the artist is doing. I mean, it does, but the person that's taking it in is still going to come to it with all of their own stuff. And um, so, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's just an interesting uh, way to look at that relationship between the artist and audience. Laura? I think, you know, that that reminds me of the film The Lighthouse, where um, the innocence madness is your drive, your drive yourself to madness. And I think on what, to your point, that's what Elizabeth did. I mean, not Elizabeth, the other one, apologies. I forgot. What was the other her Alma. name? Alma. Alma's, what she did during the film in face of that silence. Um, but to early, Stephen's earlier thing about how it purposefully blends them and it makes you not a hundred percent sure who the real nurse is, who, isn't if are they one person um and all of those questions um become more pronounced as the film goes on and and this time i found it offensive because how dare he erase these two beings i mean i understand mental illness and surrealism but these are women who have backstories and reality and 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 weight and yet as, towards the film end they just blend together and become one you know, really, you know, well lit <laughs> amoeba of a woman of what she should be. I don't know. It pissed yeah. me off. So I, I want to get into this because you guys are bringing up something that I wanted to ask a question about already. So it's, I think we already have a couple answers on the table. But the question was, at some point in this movie, did you think that the roles were actually reversed and Elizabeth was the actual nurse and Alma was the patient. And I'm just going to throw in also, um, what led you to believe that was there a specific moment or plot point or something? And for myself, I'll say it was, yeah, after the betrayal with where she read the letter where, um, Elizabeth was reporting back to the doctor about Alma. I was like, why would she be doing that? Or was it, was it actually that we have a super unreliable, narrator and storytelling device where it's actually flipped and i thought maybe there was going to be a reveal at some point and that doesn't actually happen but um what does everybody think what did they have that idea it sounds like a couple of you did and what caused you to think that mia i don't know if i i thought that but i didn't get like super stuck on it i think Mm -hmm. but to me i guess i just assumed with that letter that she's an actress she's used to probably studying people everywhere to pull and Alma even says like oh hopefully this time can be useful to you you know I assume I can't remember if she explicitly says it but you know in a future performance so I guess I just 
assumed like, oh, she's always watching people, their mannerisms, their language. And I can think, you know, whatever her motivations were for not speaking, it's really interesting to see what people do when you just don't talk, obviously. You know, this woman spills these secrets to her that she's never told anyone within like, they don't really go into the time period, but they can't have been at that cottage for that long before Mm -hmm. she's talking about her orgy experience. And just to me, it was sort of that phenomena of like, sometimes when you meet someone new and they don't know your whole backstory, it becomes easier to just like share things that are really intimate, especially when I think of times when like I traveled with someone or studied abroad or something like that. And like you're thrown into this new, unfamiliar, but very intimate situation. It just makes it like you build trust with someone so fast. But I think with her, it was a little bit more, I don't want to say evil, but like self-serving in a way, maybe of she's taking and taking and taking from Alma and not saying that Alma isn't taking in her ways too, or doesn't have her own issues. Um, I just wanted to say something too about Laura, the last thing you were saying of like, these are two individual women. I didn't think about it in the same way that you did, but now thinking back on it, I'm seeing more of that, but also something that really bothered me and kind of blew my mind was I was like, these women don't look anything like each other right. like at all. <laughs> so just the concept that they could be, I don't know if that scene when Elizabeth's husband comes, if that's supposed to be a dream or a imagination or, you know, whatever. I don't necessarily think it's like, oh, he really showed up and mistook this other woman for his wife, obviously. But just the concept that they would blend into one person, like, they're completely different people. They don't look like each other. They don't really have similar personalities from what we know of Elizabeth's personality, at least. So just the conceit that they could be one person in this like really literal way, you know, it's just like, wait a second here. Yeah. To to the, them looking alike thing. When she said that to her, when Alma said to Elizabeth, I went to one of your movies, then left thinking I look like you. I, I was like, what? No, you don't. <laughs> but then I have to admit, later in the movie, it was very eerie when they were doing the split screen stuff and combining their faces. And I was like, wait, maybe they do? I can't, I don't. So it's just like, I thought that was a, a powerful thing for that reason, that these two people who I do not actually think look anything alike, the filmmaking was capable of sort of tricking you into thinking maybe they do later. I, I, I thought that was an interesting thing. Just to add to that, I think that that was kind of helped because we didn't really hear much from Elizabeth. So we were depending on Alma to kind of fill in the gaps for it. So for me, I really did feel like they looked similar enough to each other to kind of confuse them. And mm-hmm. like you said, as the movie went on and the way that it was shot, you felt like they were almost the same person. But I just felt like that was helped along by the fact that we were just really witnessing what Alma was saying and we were getting reactions from um, Elizabeth, but they weren't necessarily like there were sometimes they were just blank reactions. So I felt like that was kind of helped by that. Laura. I wanted to go back to something that Mia said about the evil aspect. I think there's a lot of really uncomfortable, inappropriate laughter on Elizabeth's part in the face of Alma at some of the most pivotal moments of the film Mm. which were completely nefarious. So, I mean, evil is definitely a part of that movie. Um, Whether it's the whole intention or a theme, I don't know. But I just wanted to say that that that, that point, evil is definitely a word that I think is part of this film on some level. Alicia? Um, Well, this is kind of just answering the question from a little from a few minutes ago that you posed but um I kind of didn't I I kind of started to think about the nurse role reversal thing also when she wrote the letter but I also didn't take that as like a malicious thing I thought she was just writing to the doctor about her observations of like everything I mean she's obviously going through some kind of mental issue and so she's just kind of writing about her thoughts of everything but i definitely can understand why alma would feel betrayed right because she thinks she's saying these things in confidence um and then the other thing that sort of made me wonder was when the husband came and i was like is this man 
blind or forgetful? <laughs> like, how does he not know that this is not his wife? Um, but then by the end of the movie, I was sort of settled in my head that no, they're they are two different people, and their roles were what we what we were told they were. So anyway, yeah. maybe the husband is Mr. Magoo. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Well, is he the one who I says, think... I'm glad that we pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today? No, is that's that Wimpy and Popeye. Oh, okay. Um, just to, to what you were saying, Alicia, I know you said you understand the, what, that it's a betrayal. Like, it just, when it happened, I, I was like, if, if someone told my boss these intimate details of my life I'd spilled out to them, I would be mortified and so angry. But at the same time, I mean, I think you could also make the case maybe it's completely inappropriate for one's nurse to be putting all that on them in the first place, which I hadn't really thought about till now in in such a fine way. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's all like I think like everything in this movie, there's at least two, if not more ways to look at it at it. And it's up to you to just sort of choose your own adventure of how to get through it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was just going to say, too, to like what Steven said to me, I still I don't think they look anything alike. It is interesting when they combine their faces. But I also read something about how they used smoke and mirrors to do that. And so I was like, oh, like literally smoke and mirrors. <laughs> um, but to me, so much of it was the way that Alma started dressing more and more like her mm-hmm. and you know, just seemed to be very like Black Swan, which I know we referenced earlier, but just, you know, really taking on her, her style, her mannerisms, everything. And then obviously after the big climax at the end where she confronts her and everything, she goes back to like her nurse's uniform and is very much like Nurse Alma again. I wanted to go back to the theme of it maybe being about being an artist, uh, if that's okay, just for a second at least. Um, so I do think that there's a, perhaps a reading of it, or at least of the Elizabeth character, where you could say, maybe and maybe this is a stretch, maybe it's a tangent, but you could say that she is sort of like learning how to become a film actor instead of a theater actor. Because her whole thing is that she's doing this play it starts to become or, or seem completely inauthentic to her. She can't do it anymore. And then for the bulk of the movie, she is like just this silent person with someone like spouting off at her. And film acting is always like described as being about, you don't have to overact. You don't have to like go for the rafters like you do in theater. You can just have small, minute emotions. And that's kind of like what she is doing through the movie of like having these small reactions to what she's hearing or witnessing from Alma. And I don't know if this is connected to that or not, but just if it's going more into like, she's learning how to be a film actor that it does. There were moments where I was thinking of the Kuleshov effect. Does anybody know that? It's like a cinema studies term. It's I think from like Russian film theory, but the idea is that they did a test or something that the example that you learn in film school is They take the same shot of some old man, just stone-faced, no visible emotions on his own, and they cut from him to someone being happy and ask the audience, and they say, oh, the old man is happy. They cut from the same shot of the old man to someone being sad, and then the audience thinks he's also sad. And it's like that the emotion or whatever is happening of the other shot gets transposed onto the stone-faced person in the the first shot. And that's a little bit of also what's going on in their dynamic to me of she is projecting all herself onto uh, Elizabeth Alma is. And it seems, and this also maybe gets into the theme of vampirism is that she's sort of an emotional vampire uh, as an actor. I'm not saying all all actors are, but I think that that seems to be her MO maybe, or that's what we see throughout the movie at least that the way she is a good actor is that she can just leech actual emotion off of people who have it and sort of project it back at them, you know, which maybe is also why Alma thinks she looks like her is because she's projecting her back at herself. So I don't know. Laura? I don't disagree with this very interesting 
theory that you have, but I wonder why it's an artist thing versus just, I, I, I don't know. I think just because she is an artist. That's how the, the, it's framed because she is an actor and that's the... Got but, it. But, okay. I, but I understand what you're saying. I don't think it applies to yeah, okay. artists, but yeah. Well, I, I think sometimes when you think about someone who's an actor, like there is some sort of dishonesty about them to begin with. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like you're, you know, she's not a trustworthy character to begin with. This is just a take, Alicia. I'm not panning no, all actors. <laughs> Alicia like, looks. I thought it yeah, was. Yeah, she looked really mad. Yeah. Yeah, she oh. looked like she was going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, you looked really pissed. So I don't. No, I don't, no. I, didn't, I, was I just do think that the, that's a very strong take on actors, but okay, they're liars. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I like I was trying to say before is that some actors are maybe like that, just as some people are like that. There are other actors yeah, who yeah, have yeah. other ways of doing it. It's like the difference right. between like Olivier and Hoffman, where. Lawrence Olivier was like, just act, dude. Like, you don't have to, like, do this method bullshit and, like, take on the... You don't have to stay up for three days just to be, like, you know, ruffled in this one scene. Just act. You know? So some people can turn it on and off. Some people have to, like, take in the entire world around them to project anything back into the world through their art. Alicia, sorry. I think I cut you off. Oh, I was just going to say that um, in furthering your theory the beginning of the movie she's obviously in a play and then at the end of the movie there's like a shot where there's yeah. a camera mm-hmm. she's she's act i guess i assume she's acting i don't know if that's a you're meant to think she's acting or if you're meant to just see the the fact that we're watching a movie and right. there's a camera there but um yeah so i i think that's an interesting theory i like i really like that there's are so many different angles you can take on this and so and i think laura's right too like I do think it there is there is the element of the artist and the audience or you know the actor sort of being a vampire, but I do think it yeah it is it could just be that like this person is just doesn't doesn't know her own identity. She's been an actor for so long. She clearly has some issues in her personal life with choices she's made with her marriage and her family um, that seem like she's not you know happy with and. So yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways you could look at her. I I still have to say I found the nurse more unlikable than I found the actress unlikable. Maybe I'm just identifying too strongly with the actress or something, but that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. I did not. <laughs> but I mean, totally. not that it's maybe it could have been the haircut. <laughs> I loved her haircut. I just thought like if you're an if you're a nurse, I mean, I understand why she did start just like doing, you know, behaving the way she did when you're confronted with someone who's like totally giving you nothing back. Like you're probably going to go a little, you know, crazy. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I did think you kind of should remember like that you're the, you're sort of responsible for this person's well being, And like, you should maybe try to like have ways to cope with that that don't involve like trying to throw boiling water at her <laughs> and like just putting all your own crap on her. And yeah. The only thing I wanted to add to that was I think early in the movie, the doctor or somebody had mentioned that there's nothing physically or mentally wrong with her. Mm-hmm. So when that, yeah. when that was said, I was thinking that that's why it was more of a case study for her and that she, the dishonesty came from the, the actor herself because she was sort of waiting to see a show on her own and then, just get something projected back at her. I do understand that that's what they're saying, but I think anybody that makes the decision to do that, that's a weird decision. So mm-hmm. like, I think there is something wrong with that. Like, well, I don't know if it's malicious, maybe it is, but I took it as more like, and you saw her like looking at the TV when we saw these images of the Buddhist monk and the picture from like the Holocaust. And she's clearly like, going through something i don't know if it i don't know where it's coming from or you know what kind of if it is a malicious place or not but if something is going on there i just want to mention the part where alma says in the beginning that she's not sure she's mentally strong enough to deal with it that she um Mm -hmm. she's admitting that there's she's a fractured person and she you know wasn't sure that if someone was strong-willed enough to just go quiet because they wanted to she could handle it and you know, on, and that's another way you could skew who the nurse is and who the, the the patient was because it could have been some sort of weird ruse or, you know. Maybe I they're both the patient. Maybe that's why the doctor's like 
you two need to go away now and just be with each other and solve <laughs> each other. I don't know. Maybe they're they're both the patient of the doctor at this point. It's like it's like it's like two way therapy for them or something. Yeah, it's um, a new newest craze. <laughs> let's go to a beach house and like work yeah, yeah. Like an H. I, wanna, I know i want to get some I, therapy <laughs> i really wish that that in america our healthcare system would give you a seaside vacation for your apathy but like they did during tuberculosis where you had to go exactly. to the french Riviera and rest it's like um, in france where they take the waters mm-hmm. um mia i don't want to say like my overarching theory about the movie but kind of the thing that i focused on the most wasn't so much her being an artist although that's part of it but was going back to more like the the motherhood thing so my idea of it is there are two different women and they're representing different like symbols of motherhood or of womanhood so Alma's a nurse who's supposed to be this person who takes care of sick people, is like giving and loving. You know, you, you think of a nurse, they're taking care of you. But she had an abortion. She, you know, ended a life. I'm doing quotes here. I'm not judging her getting an abortion whatsoever. It was also very interesting watching this, like the week of Roe v. Wade falling and everything. Um but, you know, you think of like a nurse as like a life-giving person and instead she went this other route. And then Elizabeth is, you know, she in the final big confrontation scene, Alma tells her, you know, you were at a party and someone's telling you, you can do everything, but you can't be a mother. And so to me, that part ties in with her being an actress and pulling everything from other people. She can constantly pretend she can, you know, take what she needs from other people to create these characters, but you can't do that with being a mother. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that it's like some intrinsic thing that's necessarily within you, but like you have to find it within yourself to like put yourself aside and take care of a very dependent small creature. And she just can't do that. And it like breaks her. But anyways, just to me, it was like kind of this like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing between the two of them where there's some elements of them that are like very caring and loving and, you know, want a child. But then there's this other like, you know, Elizabeth is stuck with this kid that she doesn't want, even though they desperately want her. And what is the impact on her career and kind of all of those things there. Um, But just to me, it was this idea of like, what is a mother? What is a woman? What are these things supposed to look like? And them just grappling with them in this beautiful seaside cottage. And also Alma, like, she puts glass on the ground for her to step on. She almost scalds her with water. I also was kind of, like, more anti-Alma. Um, and, you know, I'm like, again, like, she's supposed to be a nurse. She's supposed to be taking care of people in general, even if she's not maybe supposed to be taking care of Elizabeth. And But she's a very harmful person overall. I'm glad you brought up that we watched this the week of the Roe v. Wade being overturned because that was sitting with me a lot when I was watching it too. And one of the things that I did really didn't like about the movie, and I don't know, Laura, maybe this kind of, maybe this was kind of also like angered you. um, But like, I felt like it's just, it's, it's just kind of like life in, in which like women kind of can't win no matter what decision they make about their, um, reproductive <laughs> you know system like if you become mm-hmm. a mother and then you end up not being good at it like well you are a bad person if you have an abortion or you have an orgy or whatever well you are kind of a bad person uh if you, you i don't know i just felt like there's there i just feel like in life like <laughs> there's so few ways that women can like win and be considered like good in life um yeah so anyway that's that was a problem for me. I definitely think Alma was complicated and very fragile and kind of nuts. But, um, you know, I think her intentions set out initially as very pure and good. And, you know, people are really complicated. And I think it's interesting that I feel the need to defend her. But um, I suppose it's just... <laughs> 
it's hard not to for two women to there's a lot of um I don't know what I'm trying to say the idea that I'm approaching this as preferring one to the other or taking one down to the other is something that I'm finding interesting and have to mm-hmm. think about I suppose mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Yeah, it does kind of pit the women against each right. other as mm-hmm. well, which is like not cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's hard when there's so few characters in the the movie to get more perspective. So I feel like it does sort of set you up to like root for one or be upset with the other one. But it does a pretty mm-hmm. good job of you know switching it. At least for me, sometimes I was sympathetic to one over the other one. So, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, and I guess to me too, I felt like they both are clearly complicated characters struggling with who knows what all these different things so to me it's like neither one of them is there's no winning right like kind of like what Alicia was saying I guess but like to me with these characters like yeah I felt like it was more like I agree with you Laura like Alma at least from my perspective was like good quote unquote at the beginning and then was like in this situation that kind of cracked her and then she leaves and gets out of it but I don't know like what happens to Elizabeth does she just still at the house does she stay there like who well she kind of disappears into ether at that point I thought the movie ended because we saw the yeah (laughs) I kind of thought she went back to her career because we saw that her like with the camera I kind of thought oh she's like filming a movie or something now maybe I missed one time i remember the i mean i don't think there's a right answer i think i think Mm -hmm. all those those interpretations or viewpoints are valid from what i could tell thank you jeremiah (laughs) (laughs) no i mean i do i think like no i appreciate that actually (laughs) but but i did want to circle back to what i said earlier about like the difference between a a puzzle box movie as i call them or what steven is calling a rorschach test movie like this and again when when one of these is done well i like it because of what we're getting out of it right now is like i like this movie a little bit more now because we've been talking about it and i've been enjoying the conversation and i enjoy pulling it apart and exploring it and talking about it and i love when a movie offers that i don't disagree with anything you said laura about like the reasons that you did not enjoy it as much this time but i i do enjoy the experience of having watched the movie and having it now as, as a thing to discuss. And I think that is a strength of the movie that I would say the movie uh, can sort of own as a, as a, as a point in its favor is what I would say. Yeah. yeah um, I definitely think this movie, maybe more than others we've watched, like I can see how you could watch it at different periods of your life or just even in different totally. moods and get something completely different out of it or right. pick up on different themes. Cause even, yeah, the second time I watched it, there was other stuff that I noticed and it feels like it's such a short movie. Every scene, you know, you're, you're, I was like, oh, I got to really pay attention to this dialogue and what does this mean? Because it is, a, you know, parallel for these things or whatever. There's just a lot. We picked a doozy to like come back in on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good. There's a lot to discuss though. So that's good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 Uh, Alicia. Um, I was just recalling the, the part of the movie where she was reading, Alma was reading to Elizabeth from a book and it was sort of about how um, humanity or I I think this is kind of what she, what the passage was getting at was that humanity is like so messed up or angry or just has this like angst because we don't, we have like this, we have this belief in God or something. I guess not everybody has it, but there's this also everybody knows like you don't know for sure and you're not really ever getting any answer back from anything. You're, we're just kind of, it's a very existential take. And um, I thought that was, that was interesting that because I've seen that in other Berg, I remember the seventh seal is kind of like that as well. So right. I think that's something that Bergman um, that's kind of what's going on in the movie as well. Elizabeth is just not answering back. And so Alma just kind of spins out. Mm-hmm. Laura? I agree. And I it's funny that you touch on it because I didn't even realize it. It's, you know, the theme, I think, with the films that I've seen from him, and they're, they're not as many as there should be, is the absence of God. 
And that, you know, with the absence of her speaking kind of parallels that. And so I completely agree with your point, Alicia. So those are our thoughts on Persona. And we'll share our final thoughts on the movie and answer our bonus question after this break. And we're back. So now we're going to talk about what our favorite scenes, moments, or other elements of the movie were. So it could just be like that you liked the way it was shot or the sound somewhere. Stephen, what about you? The hair, Sure, it could be the haircuts. <laughs> Stephen, can you start us off? These movies were just filled with scenes that you could just kind of extrapolate and, and get a lot out of. But I like the tension in the glass scene when she broke the glass and you were just wondering what was going to happen with that and just seeing the reaction shots from both of the characters until you hear the, the scream. And then all of a sudden, like the film kind of rips and then just burns. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought that was just really fascinating. And it, and it kind of pulled me like out of the movie a little bit just to realize, oh, this seems like it, maybe it is a movie instead of just something that you're watching. Um, and just seeing the characters. So I mm-hmm. thought that was interesting. Alicia? Maybe the scene I mentioned earlier where she's reading the passage from the book, maybe that kind of tied a lot of different threads together for me. So I'll just say that. That was okay. my favorite. Laura? I had a favorite outfit okay. that she wore. Alma, was it's a black cardigan and the sunglasses that she obviously got from Elizabeth. And um, her hair is windblown and she's on a cliff and uh, she looks super cool. <laughs> I've seen that image in a lot of posters too. That 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 stayed with me. Mia? Yeah, the sunglasses were great. I loved yeah. all the all the black clothes style was amazing. Um I also really liked the glass scene and was just like freaking out watching it. But um I also I don't know if I liked it, but I thought it was very fascinating at the end when there's the um pregnancy birth child confrontation and you see it from both perspectives and almost like in full on Elizabeth mode and everything. I just, I thought that was really cool. I also liked that Mia. (laughs) (laughs) So has the movie, as far as you're concerned, stood the test of time or another way of framing it. Do you think it resonates today? Mia? Yes, definitely. <laughs> Any more to that? No. <laughs> okay. Steven? Uh, I guess you could look at it in two different ways. In terms of just like watching a movie and let it wash over you, I think it does just because it's interesting and it's interestingly shot. But, you know, if you're like a film student or you're really interested in film, it just brings it to another level. You could probably teach a master class in this movie because there's so much in there. So I feel from that perspective, it definitely does stand the test of time. Okay. And Alicia? Yeah, I think so. I I also don't have much else to say besides, yeah, I think it obviously still, there's obviously still a million different things you can talk about with this movie and there's still issues brought up that we still are grappling with in society. So for me, it does. Right. Laura? Yes, (laughs) I do. But I also think there's some borderline ridiculous aspects of the film as well as borderline pornographic aspects of the film, which I don't necessarily think um, make it that it doesn't stand the test of time. But I think it also, you know, I'm, I'm a little tired of, you know, obviously it's an important film, but, you know, that doesn't mean it should just get carte blanche. Like there are some, there's some problems with it. So to me, the fact that, we've been able to talk about it in so many different ways from so many different angles and connected it to things that were happening as we watched the movie, like Roe v. Way and uh, motherhood. I think it obviously still resonates in some way today. And I I think a lot of that goes to it being that Rorschach test that Stephen uh, coined the phrase for here of, of it just being a thing that you are sort of like getting out of it what you what you want to get out of it or what you can get out of it. It's up to you to kind of connect with it. So I think those sorts of movies probably have longer legs than some movies that are more like tied to a scenario or a plot of that, that is maybe tethered to like a time and 
you know, what's going on in the society at the time and all. Um, I'm not saying this doesn't um, reflect the time it w- was made in, but I think all those other things help it to sort of stand that test of time, as we put it. So, yeah, I definitely think so. And I guess another thing that I I don't think we really explicitly touched on is is a way that I think it could be read as a, a parallel for things today is, you know, sometimes there's, there's discussion of women working against each other in society of like women voted for Trump in large numbers and stuff. And that's very, you could say anti-feminist because his policies are super anti-feminist. And in this movie, it's pitting two women against each other in the same way that women are pitted against each other still today, unfortunately, and, or maybe pit themselves against themselves, but that's maybe not what it is. Um, anyway, should we move on to our bonus question? Alicia, I think this was your question, right? What psychological thriller that blurs the line between real and unreal has affected you the most? Just, I'll say I like the talented Mr. Ripley a lot. I don't know if it blurs the line between real and unreal a lot that much because it's pretty obvious what's going on the whole time. (laughs) But I still really like that movie. And I, I love Matt Damon being an absolute creep. And yeah. I don't know. I like that movie. So, The one that I was going to say is Purple Noon. It's the original version of that by Rene Clement with Elaine Delon. Um, oh. You should totally watch it. Uh, Technicolor. It's beautiful film. And fucked up. <laughs> so mine is a more recent movie. Um, Get Out actually was one that I felt was, even though it was sort of yeah. built as a horror movie, there was a lot of psychological aspects of that movie. And as an African-American person, I kind of commiserated a lot and, and identified a lot with the characters in it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Mia? Get Out is so good. Um, I was going to say Hereditary, um, which scared the freaking crap out of me a nerve and so scared by a movie ever and i don't know if it's psychological but there's a lot of like your family genetics and mental health and you know things being passed down but also like crazy magic shit i don't know it's just really (laughs) scary if you haven't seen it and you want to be terrified watch it um but it's so good and who i'm blanking on the director right now who directed it jeremiah um ari aster yeah 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 the same he also did midsommar um also Mm -hmm. to me not as terrifying as hereditary but still terrifying yeah and i mean even if that movie itself on the whole isn't doesn't blur a line between real and unreal which i'm not saying it doesn't but there it doesn't open with a shot or it's very early on like you think you're looking at a dollhouse and it's the real house or the other way yeah. around. So that's kind of just that yeah. shot is blurring the line. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of like things get crazy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's like people going crazy, but like a little bit of like, are they really, are these things happening? I also think just everything that happens is so nuts that you're like, wait, is this, ha- am I losing it? Is right. am I is my real and unreal being blurred? So yeah, it's just so good. Well, my answer is going to be Eyes Wide Shut uh, from, what was that, 1999, Stanley Kubrick. Because you can watch that entire movie and just read it as all actually happening or it's all in Tom Cruise's head. And there's nothing to really point you either way. Honestly, there's nothing to point you towards it being in his head, except that it all seems really weird and <laughs> and surreal. Um, and, I mean, the fact that it's based on a book called Trome Novel, which means dream novel, I think maybe gives it away that maybe it's not real. Um, but I, I think Kubrick uh, purposefully blurs that line with his yeah, interpretation of it. Yeah, that, that's an interesting choice. Well, is, the Shining, is The Shining a psychological thriller? I feel like there's sure, argument there. I think so. I think yeah. an argument could be made for that. Yeah. yeah. I guess with this question, I leaned more on the blurring the line part of yeah. it, the psychological mm-hmm. thriller part of it. But um, anyway, so our next episode is Stephen's fourth pick. Stephen, do you want to tell us about that one? Sure. It's um, Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. It was directed by Stanley Kubrick, and it was released in 1964. It should be available to rent via Apple, Amazon, Google, and several others. There we go. 
So that's it for this episode of Stereoactive Movie Club. We invite you to join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Stereoactive Movie Club. And we've been doing a lot more there, uh, kind of varying it up uh, in recent weeks. And I I think we're going to keep on trying to do that. It's been fun. And you can also email us at stereoactivemovieclub at gmail.com. Or you can even send us a voice message on our show page at anchor.fm slash Stereoactive Movie Club. Goodbye. <laughs> this podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.